Welcome to Addressing Dress, an audio production of the Dress Syndrome Foundation. I'm Connie Stevens, your host for this installment of the podcast, where we're learning more about the medical condition known as Dress Syndrome. Dress stands for Drug Reaction with Eosinophilia in Systemic Symptoms. It's a severe hypersensitivity drug reaction that often doesn't appear for two to six weeks after starting a drug. And sadly, even among many in the medical community, the condition isn't well known and is often dangerously misunderstood. Some people may know this condition by another name, Drug-Induced Hypersensitivity Syndrome, or DIHS. There's yet another name also found in literature, Drug-Induced Delayed Multi-Organ Hypersensitivity Syndrome. These different terms only add to the confusion in understanding and diagnosing the disease where prompt treatment can be a matter of life or death. In this podcast, we consistently refer to the condition as DRESS or DRESS syndrome. And let's say it again, it's an acronym for Drug Reaction with Eosinophilia in Systemic Symptoms. So how did we get here? Let's begin this episode with just a bit of history. Before Dress Syndrome was named, it was simply a hypothesis. Reports of medication-induced disorders date back to the 1930s and 40s, beginning with anticonvulsants, and then later in the 1950s with the drug phenytoin. Back then, the experts labeled the patient's condition based on the medication it corresponded to, such as anticonvulsant hypersensitivity syndrome or allopurinol hypersensitivity syndrome. Then in the mid-1990s, a breakthrough. An international team of physicians and researchers identified DRESS as a way to consolidate clearly related conditions into a single unifying disorder. For Vincent de Camp, a French dermatologist, it all began with a patient in the 90s who presented with a case of HPV, the human papillomavirus. Oh, it's always a story of a patient because I had to take care of a patient. But at the beginning, I'm interested um, on virology because I do research on virology. It was not on human herpes viruses. Six, it was on papillomavirus, human papillomavirus. And so I, I was very interested in the field of virology. And when I had to take care of a patient, it was uh, in 1990. Uh, five something like, like that uh, with a patient who had typical dress and say wow it's like a viral infection and so we look uh, I look for uh, viral reactivation and we found I found a HIV reactivation and it was the beginning of the story and we published this case in uh, 1986 um, and it was a very severe case with um, uh, case with hemophagocytic syndrome and there was a t- typical dress and then for every patient, I look for viral reactivation, and we found viral reactivation, and my Japanese colleagues did the same. And so there is more and more patients like that. And so the beginning is, uh, is uh, this, uh, this year, this is 1995, uh, five years. With the official name recognized around the globe, DRESS is now classified as one form of severe cutaneous adverse reactions, known as SCARS. Related conditions include Stevens-Johnson syndrome and TEN, which stands for toxic epidermal necrolysis. And Dr. DeComp, he's now one of the world's leading experts on dress. He's head of the Department of Dermatology at Bichat Claude Bernard Hospital in France. 
He says incidents of dress syndrome surface in anywhere from 1 to 1,000 to 1 in 10,000 drug exposures. Dress syndrome is a clinical diagnosis, and Dr. DeComp says cases may still be significantly underreported because of the varied and complicated way it presents, often beginning with a fever. The rash with facial edema. Facial edema is a very good sign at the beginning of the symptoms. And you, you, you see also the lymphadenopathies. And so you are looking for other important manifestations such as myocarditis, tachycardia, or other manifestations. So clinical examination is very, very important because you will have to choose after the management of the patient. When it's addressed, not really severe, you have to do a workup at the beginning, so with blood test, and you look for some biological manifestations that are necessary for the diagnosis of dress. At the very beginning, you will have lymphopenia, and then you will have mononucleosis syndrome with atypical lymphocytes, and then you will have eosinophilia. To recap, those beginning signs often include fever, rash, facial edema or swelling, but you must look beyond the skin because the severity of skin involvement doesn't necessarily correlate with what may be happening with the patient's internal organs. Through the course of this illness, patients may experience a host of complications, such as lymphadenopathy, pharyngitis, blood abnormalities like hemophagocytic syndrome, atypical lymphocytes and eosinophilia, and of course, organ involvement, most commonly the liver, but multiple organs may be affected, including the kidneys, lungs, and heart. Of course, it bears repeating, while those white blood cells known as eosinophils are in the acronym for DRESS, they might not always be detectable in the blood, especially in the early stages of the illness. So many doctors think that you may have dress when you have only eosinophilia. But if you are lucky to make the diagnosis very early, at the very beginning, you do not have eosinophilia. You will have lymphopenia, mononucleosis syndrome. So it's it's very important to, to know this. And there are now guidelines to diagnose this complicated condition. Registar, an international scoring system of clinical findings and diagnostic criteria, is a major advancement in classifying and treating dress cases. It's also essential to monitor the ever-growing list of medications that have been linked to the syndrome, some of which are handily prescribed. Top offenders include the antibiotics vancomycin, Bactrim, and minocycline. There's also allopurinol, which is used to treat gout and kidney stones, carbamazepine and lamictal, both anticonvulsants, and antiretrovirals like abacavir, used to treat HIV. The list also includes non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs and mood stabilizers. The delayed onset of such a variety of symptoms, from medications started between two and six or even eight weeks later, adds to the confusion. Since potential culprit drugs treat such a variety of conditions, a patient might show up in any number of medical settings, such as a family practice office or dermatologist or other specialist office or in urgent care or emergency room. This is why widespread understanding of the condition is important, as the first step in treatment is to stop taking the medication. But as Dr. DeComp explains, even this can be complicated, as some patients may be on several prescriptions at once. 
and some drugs who are necessary for the patient. So it's, uh, it may be difficult uh, to, to, to take the decision to say, oh, we have to stop the treatment. Someone who has epilepsy, so you have to stop the treatment. It may be difficult. So, so you have to identify, but identify only on the chronology and the, the type of drug. And so you stop the, the drug. And then the treatment will depend on the severity. If it's sometime, something like minor dress, so skin lesion, uh, not big hepatitis, so you can treat the patient with topical corticosteroids. But what is very important in dress, when you make the diagnosis, you have to follow your patient. Because in the diagnosis of dress and the characteristics is that the dress will go on and you have to follow more than two, three weeks. The average patient recovery time is six to nine weeks, and lab work must be monitored carefully in this period to check the patient for relapses or indications of flare-ups. Topical steroids may help the rash, but systemic treatment may be needed to protect the organs from further damage. Steroids may be needed for months, and immunosuppressive drugs and antivirals may also be indicated. The majority of patients do well in the long term, but the bottom line, says Dr. DeComp, is that the diagnosis of dress syndrome is just the beginning. The medical team must be committed to the case for the long haul. Quite the contrary to a classical allergy, when you make the diagnosis, you stop the drug and now, oh, it's okay now, the patient can go out. For dress, it's quite different. The problem begins when you, you make the diagnosis and you have to follow for a long time the patient. There is a risk of the development of the severe manifestation because the severe manifestation are often not present at the beginning of the disease but may occur after one week, two weeks and sometimes more uh, after a more long, longer time and months and year after you may have other condition autoimmune disorder but it's rare it's for the more severe uh, cases of dress. In upcoming episodes of this Addressing Dress podcast, we'll hear from dress survivors who, once out of the woods, found the condition left them with long-term complications, such as autoimmune disorders, thyroiditis, and diabetes. And of course, they can also expect a lifelong sensitivity to other drugs, even whole classes of medication. So it's important to... um do not give the same drug or the same family, so you have to give some uh, paper when it's written uh, that to, to be very uh, um, careful. And, and sometimes a patient who has, who has had a dress is at risk to have a reaction to other drugs, so you, you have to be careful about that. They are worried about, and then, the, then when they take a new drug, they stop when there's some, some manifestation. And, it seems realistic to, to say that uh, they may be at risk for other drug, but uh, there is not a lot of uh, data about that. Another area where the data is adding up is with the connection between dress syndrome and the human herpes virus known as HHV6, which most of us have carried since childhood. In the majority of dress patients studied, there's a link between the potentially deadly drug reaction and the reactivation of this virus. We'll also devote an upcoming episode of Addressing Dress entirely to the HHV6 connection, with still more from Dr. DeComp. We started this episode with a look back at the emergence of dress syndrome nearly a century ago. 
but we'll continue this series looking to the future with new strategies on the horizon to screen people at risk for dress to help them avoid exposure to certain medications. We end now with a special thanks to the HHV6 Foundation for making this episode of Addressing Dress possible. You can learn more on our website, dresssyndromefoundation.org, or email us at info at dresssyndromefoundation.org. And please, share this information. 